0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. I'm Teresa. And I'm Colleen. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it.
1: Hi, this is Teresa with Tangential Inspiration. We're on episode 136, and I'm going to talk a little bit about a woman named Sarah the Barge. I read a book called The Invisible Girls, which I'd never heard of before. No, I am super excited to talk about her. She's a breast cancer survivor and just doing some really great things in the world for underprivileged people.
0: Okay. And I'm going to talk about. A really cool place in Alexandria, Virginia. Oh, that I got to visit! Yay! The background of that and what it's doing now, and then I'm also going to talk about a really neat space where disabled and neurodiverse people of all backgrounds can share their story. Oh, okay. Um, my daughter told me about it, and it's called Special Book for Special Kids. Ooh, cool. <laughs> So last weekend my husband and I were in Virginia for the weekend. Virginia, Washington D.C. How uh, was the smoke by the way? The what? The smoke? smoke? It actually wasn't that bad. Oh good. good yeah, food. I got some really good pictures. The sky was blue. I would get I would say though if you're in Washington D.C., get a hop on hop, hop off tour. Mm. Because I walked 18,000 steps that day. <laughs> oh <my laughs> it was goodness. really really hot. <laughs> And all those places that you see are not close together. <laughs> I hope that's why yeah. for that. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: no. <laughs> so, anyway, we stayed in uh, a suburb of Washington, D.C. called Alexandria, Virginia. Mm-hmm. It was on the edge of the Potomac River. Ooh. It was this really super cute town. I absolutely loved it. And I was <laughs> looking around so much. And you know, my balance isn't great anyway. And I was looking around so much that I kept running into people because I was looking up. So
1: excited.
0: Yeah. And and, and you're on these cobblestone pathways and the trees are there. They haven't really done any work because I think it's historic and yeah. they don't want to take yeah. up those pathways. Right. Right. But anyway, it was really, really awesome. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about Alexandria because it was such a neat town. And then I wanted to talk about a place that we visited there that mm-hmm. just was really really cool and inspiring. So, I knew you I, would yeah. find
1: somewhere there that was yeah. that you could talk uh, about.
0: I think what's so cool about there is compared to the West Coast, it's just so old. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that's crazy. Stuff.
0: Like it's just so old. Yeah. But according to archaeologists' estimates, Indigenous people have occupied that area since about ten thousand years ago. Mm. And then in sixteen oh eight, English settler John Smith explored the Potomac River and came into contact with those indigenous people there and on this visit smith recorded the presence of a settlement called assomek near the south bank of mm. the potomac river mm-hmm. so this town er, this town has been inhabited since the 1300s and it shows yeah that's why
1: the cobblestone and oh my gosh structures. and
0: just all the storefronts and Aww. it was just all the houses i Going mean it was just time. so so neat So we spent one day in Washington, D.C., and then the next day we had a couple hours before we were due at the airport. And I actually saw signs the one night we were there talking about—they had these little signs. We were on the main road called King, and they had all these little signs pointing to other places to go. And one of them said, the Archaeology Museum of Alexandria. And it was calling you. (laughs) Yeah. And we had a couple hours to kill, so I was like, we got to go to the (laughs) Archaeology Museum. So the archaeology museum was actually on the third floor of a place called the Torpedo Factory. Hmm. Yeah. And of course, in true Colleen fashion, we got there at 11 and the archaeology museum didn't open until one, which I missed somehow. But this Torpedo Factory was so cool that it was plenty of time to walk around. So I want to talk a little bit about the Torpedo Factory then and now and what it is now and it all began the day after, after the Armistice Day, which is November 12, 1918, so this building is over 100 years old that we were in. Mm-hmm. And it was marking the official end of World War I. Ironically, on that day, the U.S. Navy began construction on the original building, the U.S. Naval Torpedo Station. Once fully operational, it was responsible for manufacturing and maintenance of Mark III torpedoes for the next five years. Hmm. And there's actually a torpedo in the front when you come in. It's It's... It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. and There's some stuff up there. And it's, it's really cool. I can't hear operational
1: so. about thinking of Star Wars.
0: Right. Fully operational, <laughs> Fully operational <laughs> sir. <laughs> Death Star. Sorry. Yep. After the, world, after the war ended in 1945, that would be World War II, the complex briefly manufactured parts for rocket engines before shuttering permanently in 1946. Mm-hmm. In 1950, it was converted to the Federal Records Center in Alexandria, and it stored—I love this—it stored congressional documents, dinosaur bones, oh. <laughs> German war films, and Nuremberg war crimes trial records, which are actually important. Yeah, we yeah. Should, we should talk about in that In there with the
1: dinosaur bones.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. In 1969, the city of Alexandria purchased three blocks of buildings that had been the Naval Torpedo Station, then the Federal Records Center, like I said, from the federal government. So the federal government owned it, and now the city owned it. Then an art center took it over. Mm. And then they basically, they took it over and they said, you have five years to take out all your government stuff. So So they gave
1: them plenty of time, right?
0: They did. And in 1973, the Art League's lease was expiring. At that time, the Art League's president really wanted to keep it, and she pitched the idea to the mayor, and it passed the city council, And it was was a $140,000 renovation. And this was so interesting. Work began that spring. City workers used fire hoses to power wash the building's interior, which had been neglected since 1969. Wow. There was 40 dump trucks of debris. It's like an episode of Hoarders. Yes. In 1974, the city charged artists studio rent of approximately $3 per square foot per year, a commitment to low rent that continues today. So when you walk into this place, uh-huh. there's a bunch of little artist studios oh, is what it is now. Okay. It is so cool. So you just walk in and three floors and they're open in the front. They're clear. But each artist and they have it's so cute. They have their hours that they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's their space mm-hmm. and they have their work lining the halls and on the oh, inside. And neat. it's all these different kinds of artistry. Mm-hmm. Just nothing I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so cool. And I loved that it's it's less than what you would normally charge somebody to rent space. Yeah. So and I
1: extremely fair. I mean, that's good yeah, for artists because we I, need more artists. Right.
0: Because and- as we were walking through there, Jeff's like, how do these... You know, how do these people make money? Like, yeah. it makes me wonder if they sell their items. But I did see people buying mm-hmm. things there. Good. So it's open and airy. Like I said, it has clear front windows. And it was just really inspiring to walk around and see all these talented people because I'm not one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> makes two of us.
0: Yeah. It, it was just a lovely place. And like I said, it was three floors. And it was very concrete, so kind of industrial. Mm-hmm. But then had these clear spaces for artists. And it was all full. Like, I didn't see many empty spaces mm-hmm. for these artists and it was just really cool so the torpedo factory which they still call it that offers mm-hmm. classes and workshops for students of all skill levels and ages which i noticed that too they had a big classroom there and you know summer sign-ups sun- were going on and yeah. yeah um they're offered for drawing watercolor painting printmaking photography ceramics sculpture jewelry fiber art and clay animation And 7,000 students enroll each year.
1: Wow. I know. What a great way for that building to live on.
0: I know. I just love it. It was just the neatest building. They fill, 7,000 students filling over 10,000 seats in classes. All classes and workshops are taught by professional artist instructors, many from D.C. area colleges and universities. They're non-credit, though, but Mm -hmm. they're open to all. After the school's founding in 1967, classes were credited with improving the quality of art in the Art League's gallery with Washington Magazine writing. The single most important thing the Art League has done to improve its image is to recruit a workshop faculty that includes some of the brightest luminaries on the art horizon. And the archaeology museum was really cool, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't have very long of it. No, no, we didn't. But it was
0: very small, and it was just about the archaeology of the area, which was still really cool because it's, you know, 10,000 years old. Yeah. But if you have – if you're ever in Alexandria – Stop at the torpedo factory, support these artists, even if it's just telling other people about it, walking around. It was just a super neat place to visit. I love that. Not many people can have these spots in their house to have. No. Who has that? No. You know? And so to charge them minimal rent and be able to to, bring them all together. I just loved it. It was really a really neat place. yes.
1: Good find. Yes.
0: So my 20 year old daughter is home from college mm-hmm. right now and I was just having a hard time getting inspired. I think it was just traveling and all that kind of stuff. I was like, what busy time What of are year. you busy time of year? So I was like, what inspires you? And she said special books for special kids. I actually think I follow him really? on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And I, my first question was like, am I going to cry? Am I going to cry? Aww. So, I just love kids. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I just. And cats. I, and kids and cats. <laughs> yeah. So, I did not follow them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about it. So, I was really excited to look at their page and and mm-hmm. and talk about it. So, Chris Ulmer, the founder, notes the following. So, he calls it SBSK. Special books for special kids. Mm. So, that's not a clock has grown into one of the largest disability platforms in the world, with over 2 billion views across social media. Wow. It is a space where disabled and neurodiverse people of all backgrounds can share their story. And this started as a classroom project. He was a teacher of various disabilities, hmm. including autism, traumatic brain injury, speech apraxia, and agenesis of the corpus callosum. I don't know what those are. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know. But he was a teacher, and he worked for three years with the same seven students, and they made extreme progress both academically and socially. And I love this. He says, at the beginning of my tenure, I accepted my students just as they were and treated them with the respect and dignity they deserved. Hmm. Of course. They responded by providing me the trust that is needed to guide an individual to their full potential. I just which love should that. be
1: how it is for all teachers,
0: right? Yeah. Right, and these kids, and I love that he was able to be with them for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, I see these wonderful teachers that do a great job with their kids, and then they don't get to they're stay right. with them. Yeah,
1: they're done. Right? Before.
0: Yeah. Right, and I just, I just love that. They Just
1: barely get to know each other, and right, click and then yeah,
0: and then they're moved. Yeah. So, my students, um, their families, and I collaborated to begin special books for special kids in our third year together it was intended as a classroom project that would empower my students to become self-advocates and storytellers Mm. i just love that too self-advocate yeah that's a big one i think i think that's that's a big one yep the initial lucky kids i know and he's darling. Like when I was looking at him, he's just got this light about him. He has mm-hmm. bright blue eyes and smiles, and, and his
1: smile is huge. Yes, like and in I, every picture, he's I love just it. Beaming. Yes,
0: yeah. um, I like smiles. <laughs> so, um, SBSK was originally intended to be a classroom project. Like I said, that would empower his students. The initial avenue to accomplish this goal was that his students would write books about what life was like from their perspective. Oh. I know. We soon realized that no publishers were interested in these books. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm really surprised by that. For this reason, we began filming videos to spread awareness of their classroom Mm -hmm. project. Mm -hmm. Um, They published short videos on their Facebook page so that people in their local community could view my students' advocacy. At that time, there was no end goal in mind. We were simply having fun while my students learned pivotal skills to succeed in the digital age. In December of 2015, his students were away at lunch, and he received a phone call from somebody working at ABC News. Yeah. She didn't tell him her role in it or anything like that, but, you know, their conversation only lasted a couple minutes. Um, probably because- That's all you need, Teachers, though. well, yeah. also, teachers pretty have a short, that's yeah. a, they usually have a short lunch, yeah. really. I mean, he's if probably- really get to eat at right. all. Right. Yeah. A few days later, a story about our classroom's morning routine aired on ABC World News and was broadcasted around the world. I know. That's awesome. The video was then uploaded to ABC's Facebook page and became one of the most viewed videos of 2015, with hundreds of millions of views within a week.
1: And no one was interested in their story.
0: Correct. Right. Which just surprises me. me. I just, I don't understand it. So After this video went viral, the Special Books by Special Kids Facebook page went from thousands of followers to 150,000 in only a few days. Suddenly, people from around the world were listening to my students' advocacy. Along with this newfound viral attention, I started receiving emails from disabled people of all ages. Many wrote to share experiences in their time in school. Included in these messages was often an inquiry, exploring my interest in interviewing the person sending the email. So they wanted to be interviewed. They wanted to talk. (laughs) I know. I was teary when I was doing this. Oh, my gosh. He said, at first, I was filled with reservation about interviewing people other than my students. I mean, he'd been with his students for three years. Like, he knows them. I had no experience with interviewing. He says, I was a teacher.
1: And he was comfortable with his seven kids. Sure.
0: These are his kids. So, in the winter of 2016, I interviewed people across Florida over the weekends. On the weekdays, I was a teacher. By May 2016, our Facebook page had 400,000 followers. I know. I was receiving countless messages from people living with disabilities and neurodiversity who wanted to share their story on SBSK.
1: I hope that he has sent messages to all the...
0: (laughs) Those publishers? (laughs) He seems like the type that wouldn't because he wouldn't need to. Right. (laughs) I feel like he wouldn't need to. This speaks for itself. Right? He's going
1: to take the high road.
0: I feel like yeah. he would. I could be I wrong, Chris. Right. I could be wrong. <laughs> I think
1: you're right. Yeah.
0: It was at that time I realized SBSK could be a platform that grew to have a tremendous impact on the world. And he he felt like he needed to leave the classroom and took the giant leap of faith to work on SBSK full times. He says he's still good friends with the students and their families that were in his classroom. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect it any other way. Today, SBSK videos have surpassed 2 billion views and reached over 130 different countries. Mm -hmm. Although our content has spread around the world, our mission remains the same, to allow people the platform to share their truths while acknowledging that each person's story is different and valid. I love that word, and valid. And valid, yeah. We believe that everybody has a story that is worth being heard from them directly.
1: So true. I
0: know. I love that too. He says that in the years since I left the classroom, with every interview, I still ask myself one question. Will this piece of content create a more inclusive world for the children I taught? I no. I was telling this to Teresa before we started, but I love that their website is broken down by diagnoses, I think is the word I want to say. Mm-hmm. If you are an individual with Down syndrome, then you can go to their website and see other people with Down syndrome and hear about their lives mm-hmm. and, and how that relates to this. Because they wanted
1: to share their story with him. Right. And so they when I was out. pregnant with
0: one of my children, I actually, um, they thought she had Down syndrome. And so I went through the additional genetic testing and I had to wait a week for the outcome. It's probably different now. I mean, that was 20 years oh, ago.
1: Longest week. Right. Probably of your life.
0: And... During that time, I was surprised. I didn't tell a lot of people what was going on, but I was really surprised by how many people were like, well, why do you even want to know? Why do you even care? And I always told people, because I'm one of those people that wants to know ahead of time, get in a mom's group,
1: mm-hmm.
0: read books. And I love this idea that a family could go to this website in that same place as me and look at these kids and these families and prepare themselves better.
1: For a successful life. For Correct.
0: Because that's yeah. all I wanted. Yeah. Um, A
1: successful, happy.
0: Exactly. Child. Yeah. And I wanted to be the best mom that I could be for this child. Yeah. Um,
1: and this, it sounds like this allows that.
0: Exactly. To, yeah. Whatever diagnose you're dealing with, you can go to this website and look at it. And their website is sbsk.org. And you can also follow them on Instagram. It's, this is all one word <laughs> special books by special kids. So there's portions of the interview there. And then you can go to YouTube and see the full interview. Mm. And it is special books by special kids. I just love Very this. This cool. is such an amazing idea.
1: It ties oh. in so well with the book that I'm going to talk about. Because oh, yay. a lot of those kids would be invisible. Correct. You know, we wouldn't hear about them. Correct. If it weren't for this platform. Correct. Awesome. So this book. The Invisible Girls, right? By a woman named Sarah the Barge. Okay, it's totally intrigued because I love hearing any story about a breast cancer survivor. Yes, um, so that was a plus. And then she also discusses how she helped a refugee family in Portland, oh, fleeing Somalia. Wow. So totally was pulled in with this, right? Especially she living, her living in Portland, right? Do we need to hunt her down? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I will get to that because I I became a little bit of a stalker, but I'm so glad that I read this book. There are a ton of lessons that not only I could learn, but I think everyone could learn from this woman. And I'll say, (laughs) this speaking of hunting her down, I wasted a good 20 minutes on Mm. Instagram, you know, checking in and just making sure I wanted to see, first off, if she was still in the Rose City. Yes. Which sadly she's not our neighbor Aww. anymore. But I also wanted to make sure she was still healthy and I wanted right. to see if I could see any pictures of the kids on there and cool. and all of it. So yeah, she does have an Instagram page that people okay. can follow. But we'll tell you what that um, is. Eventually. Sarah was a preacher's kid from the East Coast. Okay, um, and I could relate with her on so many stories from her childhood. I totally tease my mom with how strict she was. You know that, <laughs> and I wouldn't change a thing with no. how she raised us. But no. I do like to give her a hard time.
0: And, and re-lean on the flip side, was called the Lucy goosey mom. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> the strict mom and the yeah. Lucy goosey mom. My mom
1: was a little of both with me. Oh, she was the strict mom. By the time I got to Dave, not true. as strict. That happens. <laughs> so, you know, there's 11, 12 years in between. Right. There, so. And I remember in fifth grade, there was a girl that had the prettiest red nails. Oh. And I went home. I wanted to have my nails painted, you know, bright red. red. And definitely, definitely not oh, allowed. Oh. I could paint my nails. But they had
0: to be on like, yeah, like, pastels. Which, to me, I look at it in retrospect, and it's like, is that if that's the worst thing I know. that I know. girls do is I paint their nails and red. And I think my mom
1: would say that, to yes, too. But she
0: would. Um, it's just funny,
1: the things that we remember from totally. our childhood. Yes. And while she didn't mention it, I'm sure that Sarah wouldn't have been allowed to paint her nails bright red in fifth okay. grade, either. Okay. <laughs> so, she was creating our Bone path. Life was going well. She had earned her master's degree in medical science from Yale School wow. of Medicine. So she's wow. a smart cookie. Yes. But she was studying journalism at Columbia University.
0: And oh, she was. Ivy League. Yes.
1: That's yeah. Nice. She's a smart girl. Yeah. She was happily involved in her church, had a very serious boyfriend, and life just seemed to be going well for her. Pieces were falling into place. Sure. But that quickly changed when she looked down and noticed blood on her white shirt. When she looked at the cause, it was coming from one of her breasts, and because of her background, right, she knew it wasn't good news, and she wow. knew most likely so scary. Yeah, did I mention she was twenty-seven at oh this point? Gosh. So the night she was diagnosed, members of her church came to her apartment to pray for her, and the deacon told her that people had signed up for meals post mastectomy, so she would have two weeks of meals. She wouldn't have to worry about food. So nice. Yeah, in
0: theory. Okay. (laughs) I
1: was absolutely heartbroken to read that when she returned from her surgery, not one of them called or stopped by to check in, let alone bring a meal. Oh. Yeah. So it actually didn't happen. It didn't happen. Wow. Okay. So this poor girl does the chemo thing, has her mastectomy, can't wait to get her expanders swapped out for the implants. When doing the reconstruction, that word, reconstruction, is just, when you're referring to it with the body, it's just as,
0: like, towards a human being. Yeah, it's just,
1: yeah. But anyway, the surgeon inserts these hard plastic pieces in and fills them up, you know, periodically with fluid in order to slowly expand and stretch the skin to enable enough room for permanent implants. Thank you for explaining that. So, I didn't know what it was either. Right until yeah, no. I, thank you
0: for explaining. That. Um, she like was
1: that. very honest about the expanders. She talked about them being hard, super uncomfortable, and somehow her sharing that made me feel better admitting that it sucked. I mean, it it truly just you bit. felt the same. Yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. It was okay. terrible. And I will note that that was a word I definitely could not say in my house growing up with oh. my mom.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yes. So, um, but I can't think of another word to describe it. It just is sucky. Right. So two days before the surgery to swap them out, I'm you know picturing she's all excited to have that nightmare behind her. Sure. But instead, she gets a call with more bad news. They found cancer on her chest wall, and she'd have to have another surgery and go with a more aggressive treatment. And this is because it essentially it had spread, and that's the concern, right? Well, when they went in to, to do the other surgery the swap surgery they must have found more on her chest wall okay that she couldn't feel okay. so yes it was this i believe it was the same cancer but it okay. still was growing okay so you know they had to go with a more aggressive treatment because obviously right. it wasn't working right as if that's not enough she ends up with sepsis oh my gosh and they have to remove one of her implants so so far not very inspiring no. and i know unfortunately it gets even worse one night, her boyfriend, I told you they were very tight. They, right. You know, we're talking about getting married. They'd even looked at rings. He picks her up and asks her to go for coffee. Mind you, she's bald. She only has one breast. She feels like a mutant.
0: I'm sure.
1: Her boyfriend pulls into a parking and spot. exhausted. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. On, and, yeah. And just, just wants mentally just this physical. person to love her and right. um, support her, be there for her. But he pulls into a parking spot. And he leaves the car running and tells her that he just can't do it anymore. After a minute of total silence, he pulls into the drive-in drive-through and orders himself a caramel macchiato. You know, he asked her if she wanted a coffee. Still in silence, right. so he he drives through, gets a caramel macchiato, and drops her off in total silence. Right. He hadn't even put the car in park, so she had officially lost everything and felt like she hit rock bottom. Right. So it's easy to see why she wanted to leave the East Coast and head west for a fresh start. So at, at 28, she's already had these five surgeries, six months of chemo, 30 radiation treatments. She had pneumonia, the sepsis, all of the span in 18 months. My she goodness. leaves. I know, this poor woman.
0: I can't imagine. She's a kid. And alone.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, her parents were around, right. um, but it's still. Right. She was on her own. Right. So she left New Haven, Connecticut and headed to Portland the problem sadly followed after her third round of chemo, she found a dime-sized lump and a biopsy showed that it was cancer. So I know the feeling that she talked about with her hair follicles aching. It's the weirdest thing. And I, I told my husband, I know he thought I was crazy <laughs> when I tried to explain it. So when she talked about it, it, it made me feel better. Right. When she described that side effect. Yeah. Right. That side effect, it made me realize I wasn't imagining it. No. It's a weird feeling. This poor woman had the joint pain, her esophagus was inflamed, her mouth constantly tasted like she was sucking on a penny. And I hate that she had to go through this, but as someone who's been there, I so appreciated her honesty. How she articulated the discomfort and could truthfully discuss just how awful it was.
0: I have to say to listeners (laughs) that (laughs) Teresa... Doesn't complain about this. <laughs> so for me hearing this and saying that you felt this way too is touching to me. I
1: did not have the copper taste in my mouth. That's so nice. I didn't have that. Yeah. I felt very, well, it was good because I could keep eating. Right. All I wanted. No. <laughs> I did get mouth sores. So it oh. wasn't always um, that Perfect. I could eat, Yeah. It wasn't always that I could eat everything right. I wanted. But the hits with her just kept coming too. When her disability was denied because her cancer was considered a pre existing condition. The poor woman. She just can't catch a break. Her AC broke in her car and there was no way she could drive to chemo in the summer heat. So she scraped together enough money to have it fixed, only to have it hit by a moving truck a few days later, as it sat in her parking lot.
0: (laughs) I can't win to lose it.
1: I mean, it just makes me feel like she was Job in the Bible. Yes. Yes. So one day, she's on the max and notices these big, big brown eyes, this little girl and a tired mom with her head leaning on the window. She plays this little game of the girl. Um, she'd given her some, you know, put some dice in Sarah's hand and was trying to pry it, her hand open and get the dice out. So after the family leaves, Sarah discovers she still has the dice in her hands. Oh, no. So she knows she has to, you know, get Find in a way touch to return it. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember how they got back in touch again. But that chance encounter on the train would change Sarah's life. And not to mention the life of that exhausted mom, Hattie. She would learn that Hattie had escaped genocide in Somalia. Oh only to come to America, a culture she didn't understand. People don't understand her either. Right. right. She was ill-equipped to navigate Portland. Everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. In a short time, Hattie had lost her mother. She had back when she was in Africa, she had three children die. Oh my god. Um, she faced starvation in both countries. Right. She had survived an abusive husband. They, in their apartment, the girls and her kept their shades drawn all the time at all hours to hide. They were worried about a monster and the monster oh, right. actually was her husband because oh, he beat her. Goodness. So when I say she was ill-equipped, I'm in no way exaggerating. Right? Sarah came to, like, she came by to find them eating moldy bread one night. So they're all just sitting, you know, crisscross right. eating moldy bread. Like that was their meal. When Sarah brought some pizzas over to bake, they couldn't believe that Sarah could work the oven. Because every time Hattie had tried to work the oven, it had, you know, they felt everything was burned. Right. Because, come to find out, she didn't know how to work it. When she turned it on, she turned it to broil. So, obviously, everything Jake tried to cook.
0: Raw on the bottom. Burnt on the top. Burnt. Our oven did that recently. like Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to the pizza. Burned on the top. Yeah. Raw on the bottom. Yeah. So. <laughs> not good. Not good.
1: No. Especially when you're starving. No. <laughs> so that wasn't the only thing she didn't know how to operate. The apartment was not only barren, but it was constantly cold. That is, until Sarah showed them how to turn on the thermostat.
0: Oh my they just didn't, you know, they just, just didn't, didn't know. know the most basic of yes. things. Yeah. I, I think things we take for granted. Yep. Right? All sorts of things. Right.
1: So Sarah would take those things and mentor. To these invisible girls, as she called them. And I think she okay. blogged about it, too. Okay. So, trying to teach them to help themselves. Right. I think, in a way, it was also therapeutic for her. Not to mention, it helped distract her from her own problems. Right. And
0: just have a friend. Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. I, I, I'm sure she's mentoring people. That are, she's seeing them at their worst, yeah. really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I can't imagine that they didn't develop a friendship. Yeah. So...
1: In helping the little family, she discovered really how much they had in common. Because of her culture, Hattie had been denied school, so she couldn't read. Oh my um, she was forced to marry as a teenager and she was trapped by those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Sarah hadn't been denied an education, obviously, but she certainly was familiar with the emphasis of needing a man to fulfill mm-hmm. your purpose in life. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was so interesting that she compared the the similarities yes. between their their lives. Yes, She also knew what it was like to be hidden behind fabric, always afraid to expose an ankle, shoulder, elbow, knee. In most areas, these two women couldn't have been more different. Right. But at the same time, at their core, they had so much in common. I think that's what the book left me with, the contrast between the Muslim world and the evangelical world. Right. But also some serious similarities. It's so amazing how a chance encounter on the Max. Right. Which I love because that's local. Which if you
0: don't know that in Portland that's our little our public transportation train. Yeah. I guess I guess I would call it. Right.
1: Mass transit. Yeah. Mass transit. But that little encounter would really change them both. Would anyone ever have noticed these invisible girls if Sarah hadn't? Right. Really opened my eyes. You know, just try to pay more attention to the invisible people out in the world. Right. And that's why I loved your story with the special books. Right. Because same thing. Right. So one day she accompanied Hattie to the DHS office. And she said it was very much like the DMV, but with more chick teeth, unwashed hair, and people in desperate situations. Yes. She noticed them in the office. But she was like out in society. They sadly would blend in and right. too often go unnoticed. Right. Which that stuck with me, too. This book really made me think about that. How often have I been racing from point A to point B without paying attention to those
0: around me? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All All the the time. time. And not on purpose. No, no, no. no. But sometimes you're in your own head. Oh, all the the time. time. Um, Way too often. Yep. Yeah.
1: So the really amazing thing is that the day Sarah ran into them on the Max, they were nowhere near their apartment or any place they normally frequented. Oh, So, I mean, Sarah later found that out, but it's like
0: divine intervention or, yeah, what was going on? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. So for me, this book gave me a good reminder to pay attention to the people around me, to really be aware and look for those invisible people among us. It's no surprise that helping others actually makes you feel better, takes your mind off your own troubles. Right. When you focus on making someone else happier, you're too busy to wallow in your own problems. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I think she, you know, this book was evidence. I also so appreciated her openness, like I said, about chemo and the aftermath of a mastectomy. There's nothing pretty about it, for sure. But still, beautiful things can most certainly come from it. Had her life not fallen apart, she likely wouldn't have traveled west. Right. And that little family from Somalia would have stayed invisible. Right. So finally, I admire that no matter how many times she got knocked down, she kept getting up. It reminded me of the Japanese proverb, you know, fall down seven times, get up eight. Yes. A reminder for resilience and determination. And it also reminded me of that Babe Ruth quote. It's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Sarah wasn't going to let cancer beat her. Mm-hmm. She kept on getting up, brushing herself off and continuing the fight. It wasn't so much just the rising after each blow, but her honesty with how brutal those yes. blows
0: were. Right.
1: That's what impressed me. Me too. She was honest about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She wasn't mm-hmm. sugarcoating anything. Right. I think it's a good reminder of just how tough we really are when that's our only option. I would never even thought about the term invisible people There are so many invisible people out there, Mm -hmm. now that I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. And it was a good reminder that we need to work to make sure that they're seen and loved. I also want to follow in her footsteps with her tenacity. I mean, cancer twice at 27.
0: I just can't even believe that. No. Life That just seems unfair. I know. I know that's ridiculous to say that because life isn't fair,
1: but it just seems so unfair. Oh, absolutely. And I know that there were times where she was like, God, you know, just let me go. What is going on? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me go or let me stay. Make a choice. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: So it isn't fair. And this was another example of that. Still, she didn't harbor resentment at God or at the people from church who had failed her. She could have decided to never have anything to do with God or the church after that. Yet, she didn't. She allowed herself to be angry and hurt, which I totally get. Yes. I would be too. Yes. But she didn't stay it's there. It's human. Yeah, absolutely. She didn't stay there, and I think that's so admirable. Yes. I'm not sure what I would have done if put But you've been in the... through it, so
0: you do know what you've well, done.
1: Well, but people also were so kind to me, and they followed through. I know they prayed right. for me. I know they brought me meals. I know they helped with rides for my kids. They right. they didn't abandon me. Right. So that's true. I haven't been through that. Right. So right. I'm not sure what I would have done. Right. You know, I, I probably would be a very bitter, angry person. Right. So Sarah took her life experiences, good and bad, and learned from them. I think each of them gave her lessons, or at least that's how she approached it. Mm-hmm. And I just think the world would be a much better place If more of us thought like Sarah. Agreed. For sure. Good book. So, like I said, it was called The Invisible Girls by Sarah the Barge. Her Instagram, when I was doing my stocking, I noticed that she also helped work the medical tent at the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon in San Francisco. So, my brother has done that. We teased him about the sharks and whatnot. Yeah. It's too cold and, like, shark-infested water. Never. Her Instagram is Sarah Thabarge? so S-A-R-A-H-T-H-E-B-A-R-G-E, and just some fun, inspiring stuff with her being a breast cancer survivor, and, and all sorts of inspirational stuff with her helping with uh, South Sudan. Always be a little kinder than necessary, James M. Bari we want to hear from you. Please email us your thoughts, story ideas, or just say hi at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com. Tell us about someone inspiring in your life and like or subscribe to our podcast. It helps us out and helps others find
0: us. You can find more information about us at our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Follow us on Instagram at tangentialinspirationpodcast podcast or find us on Facebook. Have a great week.